recently, someone sent me a clip entitled The Great Reset, which suggests global financial elites and heads of states are conspiring to re-engineer economics and societies in order to address what they believe are the major global challenges, including poverty, uh, social and economic inequality, and the environment. And many of these leaders, including our own Prime Minister, have stated that the worldwide pandemic that we're in has opened up an opportunity for a great reset for addressing these particular issues. Slogans like the New World Order, uh, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, Build Back Better, and the Great Reset are being used openly and frequently by these world leaders. Now, some people believe that even though this global initiative may appear altruistic on the surface, it's really an attempt by these global elites to grab power and control uh, and will ultimately lead to tyranny and a loss of our personal and religious freedoms. Now, these particular theories and perspectives tend to uh, gain traction and tend to capture our attention during times like we're in. I mean, I'm sure you'll agree with me that we're living in a time of significant upheaval and uncertainty. In a matter of days, the pandemic turned our sense of security and normalcy on its head. More than ever, many people are struggling with, you know, who to believe, who, who to trust. The internet is rife with conspiracy theories. And a growing number of people are wondering whether we are witnessing the signs leading up to the coming, the second coming of Christ. Well, I'm not going to get into this except to challenge you to be very discerning. And if you find yourself becoming more fearful, and may perhaps even overcome with fear, might I suggest that you spend a little less time on the internet listening to the theories of people and more time in the scriptures listening to what God promises us and has to say to us. Always remembering that in the midst of all of this crazy uncertainty that our God is God. Amen? He is the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present God and is very much in control. He's a good God who is with us. He has our best interests at heart. In all things, he is totally trustworthy, and he will never leave us or forsake us. So keep your eyes on him and find your peace in him. Now, I bring this up to kind of set the stage for the parable that we're looking at today. You see, when Jesus was physically present on earth, he often hinted to his disciples that he, <clears throat> he would soon be leaving them. But he would also follow it up that he would be coming back again. Well, this led the disciples to quite naturally ask Jesus one day, and we find it in Matthew 24, Lord, when are you going to be returning? And what are the signs of your coming? And Jesus proceeds to answer these questions in a sermon that he gives uh, as 
indicated in Matthew 24 and 25. And he begins first by revealing some of the signs of his coming, including the increase of wars and famines and earthquakes, the rise of false prophets, people being deceived and turning away from the faith, um, the persecution of believers, and people betraying and hating each other. You know, not a pretty picture at all. Following this, Jesus tells several parables to make one main point. Jesus is coming again, but no one but God the Father knows when this will occur. And so it is vital that we be ready and alert. Now, in the second part of his sermon, Jesus indicates that even though we need to be alert and discerning of the signs of Christ's return, in the parable of the bags of gold, which you're going to look at today, Jesus shifts the focus of his sermon to include an equally important truth. And that is we not become so preoccupied trying to figure out the time of Christ's return and how it's all going to play out that we forget about or at least neglect to be engaged in the mission that he's called us to. Through this parable, Jesus says, while you're awaiting my return, I want you to take the gifts, the talents, the abilities that I have entrusted to you and use them faithfully to be my representative to those who do not know me and are not ready to meet me when I return. Okay, so with that in mind, let me tell you the parable, which you can find again in Matthew 25, beginning verse 14. It's the story of a wealthy man who is going away for a time, and he decides to entrust his wealth to three of his servants. To one servant, he gives five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to the third one bag. And in verse 16, we read this. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the one who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now we go on to read after that, that after a long time, the owner returned. And he called these three servants to account. And the owner was thrilled to hear how the first two fellows stepped out and doubled the investment that had been given to them. But he was very disappointed and displeased with the man who buried what he gave him. Would you just stand for a moment as we dedicate our time to the Lord in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would now teach us from your word. That you would focus our minds, Lord, that you would soften our hearts. And Lord, you would give us the will, the courage to respond in the way we should. For we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. May be seated.
Now, right at the outset, I want you to notice that this parable is about a master who leaves for a time and then he returns. And what his servants did while he was away had huge implications, not only in regards to his business, but also in relation to their lives. And in this, Jesus is saying to his disciples, as he's saying it to us, what you do between my first coming and my second coming will not only impact my kingdom and the eternal trajectory of people's lives, but it will also reveal the state of your heart and where you stand with God. Jesus wants us to understand how important it is for us to faithfully invest what he has entrusted to us. And through this parable, he explains further what his kingdom is like by giving a number of principles of how we are to see and also use what he has given to us. And the first principle is this. God owns it all. Look at verse 14. Again, it, and that's referring to the kingdom of God, so let's read it that way. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. The wealth these men had was given to them by their master. They were not the owners, they were the managers. Notice it says the owner called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Now what does the word entrust mean? Well, it means that he's saying to his servants, I'm relinquishing my property to you and I'm calling on you to manage my wealth as I would. In other words, I want you to do what you think I would do with it. Now, you know what people's basic problem is? Instead of just managing what God has entrusted to them, we begin to think that we own it all, that it's ours to do with as we wish. And that is where unfaithfulness begins. When we begin to trade places with God, when we start thinking and acting like we're the owners of our health and our wealth and our lives and talents and gifts, as if we're the creators. And we start using words like my possessions, my time, my rights, my abilities. And yet, friends, who gave all of that to you? God did. Yes, we get to use and enjoy all that he's given to us, but he calls us to use it to advance his purposes, his glory and his agenda, not our self-centered interests, our fame and glory in the eyes of other people. Principle number one, God owns it all. Principle two is God gives to all. Look at verse 15. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Now, biblical scholars estimate that one bag of gold at that day was equal to about 10,000 denarii. And you might remember from a previous parable that we spoke on, um, a denarii, one denarii was a day's wage. 
So we're talking here about some major dollars. Like the first servant got $5 million, the second $2 million, and the third a million. The important thing to remember is that the owner was extremely generous with all three. He didn't treat them all equally, but he did treat them fairly. The truth is, we're all created equally valuable and precious in God's eyes, but we are not equally gifted or given the same amount of resources. God may not treat us all equally, but he does treat us fairly. He gives to all of us. Now to be clear, the bags of gold or money is only one example of how God gives to us. He gives us different abilities. He gives us different resources, skills, opportunities, spiritual gifts. Everything you have, including your health, your job, your spouse, your family, everything is a gift from God. There is no such thing as a no-talent person. God made you, he gifted you uniquely to make a unique contribution in his kingdom work. Thirdly, God gives us freedom to make choices. Verse 16 and 18 tell us that it was the three servants who decided what to do with the gold that they received. Two went out and invested it, and one dug a hole and buried it. The owner did not micromanage them. He did not say to them, now this is exactly what I want you to do with what I've given to you. No, he respected their dignity, their creativity. He left it to them to decide how, when, and where they would use what he had given to, to them. In the same way, we are not androids programmed by God. God is absolutely sovereign, but he has chosen to involve us in accomplishing his kingdom purposes, for which we should be incredibly grateful. In Psalm 8, the psalmist is overwhelmed at the thought that the creator of the universe would want anything to do with us, much less have a relationship with us or to put us in charge of things and give us power and authority to lead. And yet God does just that. He gives us the ability and the freedom to make choices. And this is an important part of what it means to be created in the image of God. The freedom to make decisions is a wonderful gift. I mean, life would be incredibly boring without it. But with our freedom and all that God has entrusted to us comes responsibility and accountability, which brings us to the fourth principle that we see in the parable here. God holds us accountable for our choices. Look at verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. In the same day, one day after Christ returns, we're going to have to give an account for our lives. He's going to ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? In verse 20, we read, the master was pleased to hear that the first two fellows, they stepped out and they doubled the amount that they had received. He commended 
both the five-bag fellow and the two-bag fellow equally. And I point that out to say that what Jesus is saying here is that what pleases him has nothing to do with how much money we have. It has nothing to do with how many talents we've been given or even how great a return we get from what we've invested in his name. What pleases him is how faithful we've been with what we've been given. For example, God will use one person to introduce hundreds, perhaps thousands of people to Jesus Christ. He may use another person to introduce uh, only one or two or three people to Jesus. But you see, God isn't concerned with that at all. He isn't concerned how great an impact we make. What pleases him is that we were faithful to use what we were given. The focus is faithfulness. Look at verse 21. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Jesus says our faithfulness will be rewarded in three ways. First of all, he's going to put his, at least this is what I picture, he's going to put his arm around me. He's going to put his arm around you. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Way to go. And secondly, he's going to give us greater responsibility in his kingdom work. And that's no small thing. He's going to increase our responsibilities. And, and, and folks, that, that, you know, that's not a burden. That's a privilege. It's like a promotion. And then thirdly, he's going to invite us to celebrate into some kind of party, <laughs> to party with him, and also to spend forever with him in heaven. Now, I've got to be clear about something at this point. This is not to say that we're going to be rewarded heaven if we faithfully use our gifts. We are saved. We enter heaven only by putting our trust in God's grace and grace alone by what Jesus accomplished through his death on the cross and through his resurrection. There is nothing we can do that in any way will contribute to our salvation. However, if our faith in Christ is genuine, it will be demonstrated through our character and the way that we live our lives. In the same way that apples on an apple tree prove that the apple tree is alive, so our works prove that our faith is alive. The person who has no intention or desire to follow and obey Jesus Christ, who consciously resists stepping out and using what God has given to them for God's purposes, needs to seriously examine whether they're in right relationship with the Lord. You see, the one bag of gold servant, the real issue there is he really didn't know his master. Listen to what the servant said to, it, to his master, uh, beginning in verse 24. I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. 
So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. So let me ask you, does that sound like a person who truly knows and loves God? I mean, 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. This servant didn't know his master. He didn't respect or trust his master. He was focused on himself, how this was all going to affect him, and he had no intention of cultivating a relationship with his master, which explains why he refused to do what the master asked him to. Now, in verse 28, the master says something rather unexpected. That's what he says. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Now, after reading this, you, you might be thinking, well, just wait a minute, Jesus. I mean, why give the one bag of gold to the guy who already has 10? I mean, wouldn't it be more fair to give it to the guy who has four bags? You know, just so he has a little bit more, kind of balance things out. But remember, this parable isn't about fairness. It's about faithfulness. Jesus is not saying here that if you have a lot of possessions, for example, God's going to take from the poor and give you even more possessions. No. What Jesus is saying here is if you are faithful with the opportunities that he gives to you, you're going to be given more opportunities. If you aren't faithful with what Jesus has given you, then he says, I'm going to take those opportunities away from you and I'm going to give them to those who are prepared to do so. Make no mistake. God will fulfill his purposes. If not through you, then through someone else. And unfortunately, if we bury our talents, either because of apathy or because we have no desire to know and to follow the Lord, two things are going to take place. First of all, we're going to lose the opportunity to be used of God to make an eternal difference in the life of another person or to make a difference in some other way. The very foundation of our fulfillment is going to be taken away. And secondly, we will slowly lose what we've been given. This is a God-ordained principle. It's sort of a universal principle that isn't hard to understand. I mean, if you don't exercise, you will lose muscle mass and cardio capacity. (coughs) Excuse me. If you play as much golf as I do, which is about once a year, you will become the king of divots. You'll be yelling, for every hole and play the way Pastor Wayne does. If you don't use it, you will lose it. When I was a young, when I was four or five years old, I spoke German fluently. When I became a teenager, didn't think it was very cool to speak German to anybody, so I didn't. Now my German is about as good as my French, which is pretty much non-existent. If you don't use it, you will lose it. The same is true, of course, in the spiritual dimension. If you don't give or serve, you will lose the joy of being generous. 
If you don't pray, you will lose the peace that comes when you give everything to the Lord in prayer. If you don't lead, if you don't mentor, if you don't invest in others, you're going to lose the fulfillment that comes from seeing vision become reality or being used by God to help people become all that God created them to be. If you don't step out and start conversations with people that God has brought into your life, you will lose the joy of friendship and the opportunity to one day at a God-appointed time to introduce them to the Jesus that you know and love. Whatever you don't use, you will lose. Now make no mistake, in this parable, the master is not displeased with the one bag of gold servant because he dropped the ball somehow or he failed to hit a spiritual home run with the abilities he received. No, the master called him wicked and lazy because he didn't even try. The master essentially says to this servant, I gave you this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to join me in my work, to partner with me in my business, and you did nothing. When we choose to go our own way, when we choose to ignore the call of God in our life, and or just use what he's given to us to bring glory to ourselves, to you know, have people you know, give us accolades in some way. We will not only miss out on the friendship that he longed to have with us and the faith adventures that he'd ordained for us to experience, but verse 30 says, in the next life, we receive will receive exactly what we have wanted in this life. Life without God. And how utterly heartbreaking and dark and despairing that will be. So let me ask you, what are you doing with what God has given to you? Are you investing in God's kingdom? Or are you bearing it? Some people bury what God has given to them because of fear. They're afraid of stepping out and doing what God calls them to do because they want to be in control. They want to protect their time and protect their money and their possessions and their reputation at all costs. And, you know, we see this right now happening during the pandemic where people are so afraid. Uh, they're, they're hanging on to their money and their stuff, totally focused on themselves and, and, and oblivious to the needs of others around them. In Mark 8, 34, Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Denying yourself is saying no to your desire and your need to be in control and putting the needs of others ahead of yourself. Taking up your cross is to say yes to what God calls you to do despite fear despite the uncertainty you're feeling or difficult circumstances that you may be facing. We will always fear stepping out and doing what God calls us to do until we surrender the control of our lives to Jesus Christ. 
To surrender to Jesus means from your perspective, you have this deep conviction that Jesus is enough. Until you are convinced to the core of your being that Jesus is enough, that he is Lord and King, and a good God that can be totally trusted, until Jesus is enough, you're going to resist giving up control of anything that you believe defines you. Anything that you believe protects you. You're going to have a hard time letting go of anything that you believe um, uh, will affect your reputation. Anything that you believe is the key to satisfaction in life. Bob Roberts says, until you settle on Jesus being enough, you will have an incessant need for others' affirmation to be viewed as the best, the most talented, most successful, most liked, and most known. Because your focus is on what other people think rather than on what Jesus thinks. Your trust and your identity is based on what other people are thinking. And there's no freedom in that. All that changes, though, when Jesus is enough. Because the focus of your life is all about advancing his kingdom, not your kingdom. It's about pleasing him and finding satisfaction in him alone and not what others think. And with that comes true freedom to be who God made you to be and to do what God calls you to do regardless of what others think. Some bury their talent because of fear. Others bury their talent because of failure. Maybe you blew it or you got burned volunteering in a ministry and you felt like a total failure. Maybe you blew it as a parent or in your career, your business or your education. Or you had an addiction that destroyed your relationships and left you all alone, filled with regret. Whatever your failure, you picked up the pieces. You, you sought the forgiveness of those who hurt you. You learned from your failure. You got the help you needed. And today, you're doing well. You're doing well except for this. You believe your failure disqualifies you from doing what God's calling you to do. You know, the Apostle Paul, he persecuted, he abused Christians. He even gave, gave the green light for Christians to be murdered. And yet, by God's grace, he met Jesus and was transformed from the inside out. If anyone had reason to believe that his failures and actions disqualified him from ministering to others. It was Paul. The apostle Peter was a close second, by the way. But you see, Paul understood the true meaning of grace. And so in Philippians 3.12, this is what he wrote. He said, but this one thing I do, forgetting what's behind straining toward what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Friends, failure can be a great teacher. 
If your failure has brought you to a place of genuine brokenness and repentance and living each day in humble dependence on the Lord, then God can use you as much, if not more, than the person of success. And I say that because most people have a hard time relating to the five-talent person who seems to have it all together. On the other hand, people will learn a lot both from our success, but also our failure, if we genuinely are humble enough and honest enough to admit it and talk about it. You've heard me say many times, but it's not the perfection of your life, but the direction of your life and the humility of your heart that God can and will use to impact others through you. Some people bury their talent because of fear. Others bury their talent because of failure. And still others bury their talent because of the issue of fairness. Have you ever caught yourself thinking about a five-talent type of person? who just seems to, be so, seems to be blessed with so much more than you. You know, good looks, brilliant mind, talented in multiple areas, more degrees than a thermometer, killer abs, smile, straight white teeth. I mean, if we're honest, you know, we can't stand these people. And we can't stand them because we envy them and their gifts. And sadly, some people also believe that God loves these people more than them because he seemingly has blessed them more than us. And we feel that this is just totally unfair. And we've got this issue with God about the unfairness. And if we're not careful, we can be tempted to say to ourselves, well, because I'm not a superstar like her, you know, because I'm just a one-talent person, I've got nothing to offer, and so I'm, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit on my talent. And often as we sit on the sidelines, we begin to lose the joy of our salvation. We, we, we soak and we get sour and bitter. We're not a pleasant person to be around. And we catch ourselves grumbling and complaining and criticizing those who are stepping out in faith and doing what God calls them to do. We sort of become armchair critics. And we become miserable people. Or we can be tempted to think, you know, well, if I'm, if I'm not good enough to teach large audiences like him... Well, then I'm not going to teach at all. I mean, don't even bother talking to me about teaching a smaller group of people, you know, like a class of high school students or a group of young adults or seniors. No, just don't even bother. I mean, if I can't be on the big stage, I'm not interested in doing anything. So here's the thing. One of the principles of this parable is don't let what you believe is the unfairness of life become an excuse for irresponsibility. Become an excuse for bearing and sitting on what God has given to you. Instead of focusing on why someone else seems to have so much more than you do, ask yourself, what am I doing 
with what I've already been given? What am I doing with the people that God has brought into my life? God has wired us all up and gifted us differently. But he's been incredibly generous with each of us. And therefore, we can't say we have nothing to offer. Rather, God calls us to be faithful with what he's given to us. So let me ask you again. What's God entrusted to you? What are you doing with what you've been given? We all know a number of five bags of gold people. Really amazing people who use their talents and their gifts for kingdom purposes and not just for personal gain, personal advancement, self-satisfaction and gratification. Like the doctor who donates weeks, sometimes months of her time treating impoverished people overseas or who comes to work every day with the awareness that she is Christ's representative in the life of each patient and, and, and daily asks the Lord to shine through her to her patients and not only prays for the patient before she sees them, but listens to them and responds in a Christ-like way and sows seeds of wisdom and encouragement and the love of Jesus into their lives. Or like the lawyer who not only is prepared to lose a client in order to maintain his integrity before God, but who uses the gifts that God has given to him to do pro bono work for people who have suffered a great injustice. Or for their church or parachurch ministry committed to standing up against injustice and protecting our religious freedoms. Or like the CEO or the business entrepreneur who is not only very generous with his financial resources and his leadership gifts to advance the kingdom of God, but upon retirement doesn't sit on his money or on his abilities, but instead he continues listening to God and continues to step out and to do what God calls him to do to advance the mission of his church or again, a parachurch ministry that he's connected with or investing, mentoring, in the next generation of leaders or even starting and funding an entirely new ministry that's dedicated to meeting the needs of the poor, the, the homeless, the, the abused, the addicted, the marginalized. I could tell stories of all kinds of five bags of gold people who are part of our church who have and are being faithful with what God has entrusted to them. And I use these examples of five talent people in the marketplace because no matter what we do or where we do it everything is sacred I hope you trust that it's not just what you do in the church or as part of a church or part of a parachurch organization the career that God has given to you, your work, wherever it is, if it's done in Jesus' name, it really matters. Amen. Now, we also know people who would say that they're one bag of gold people who are faithfully using what they have received to the glory of God. Like the person who isn't gifted to speak to large crowds, or lead large organizations, or give large sums of money, but 
boy, do they love to pray. They love to pray for and with people. Or the person who loves teaching and shepherding kids or mentoring and encouraging youth or loving and supporting seniors. Or the person who just loves to serve behind the scenes, supporting those who are serving on the front lines. Or those who, before COVID, used to wheel around the atrium and other areas here at Central Campus in wheelchairs, helping and serving others in any way they could. I'm reminded of some of the special guests that we've had in our church over the years, including uh, Nick Vojic, a young man born without arms and legs. Remember him? And uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, who was paralyzed from the neck on down at the age of 17 as a result of a diving accident. Two individuals who went through their own dark night of the soul, I can only imagine, convinced that they had nothing to offer anyone but who somewhere along the way had a wake-up call, a moment, a very tender moment with God. And rather than looking at what everybody else has and what everybody else can do and making excuses and blaming God for their situation, they each decided to ask God to help them use what they had to the fullest for his glory. And even though their lives have never been easy, from the time they made that decision... They have been used by God to not only encourage and inspire hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people with disabilities, but have challenged the rest of us to put aside our excuses and leverage what God has given to us to the fullest. Which brings us to the third group, the two bags of gold people, which I think most of us are, at least those of us in North America. And again, what are we doing with what we've been given? Through this parable, God is calling us to leverage what he's entrusted us with for all it's worth for the sake of God's kingdom. Perhaps your life hasn't gone the way that you hoped it would. Perhaps by now you had dreams of having a more fulfilling job. Or maybe you had hopes of being married or hopes of having a family, or hopes of making a a bigger difference than you feel that you are. Well, maybe your wish to be married came true, but now your marriage is on life support. Maybe your dream to have children became a reality, but now your children want nothing to do with you or the God that you love. Maybe you got the job. Maybe you got the success, the fame, the stuff that you always wanted and sacrificed your life to get. And your life is still empty. Whatever the issue, whatever the disappointment, what are you going to do with that reality? I mean, I want you to look and think, reflect right now on that disappointment in your life and ask yourself what am I going to do with this are you going to gripe become bitter blame God blame yourself withdraw from people bury what God has given to you or are you going to give thanks for all the ways that God has blessed you surrender your disappointment to him 
and ask him to help you to leverage the blessings and the hardships for his glory. I know COVID really complicates practically living out what Jesus is calling us to here. But for many of you, as you spend time in a more isolated situation, perhaps this is actually a good time, a good opportunity to reflect on how the Lord has blessed you and also to seek him and ask him to help you to know how best to leverage what it is he has given to you to point people to him. People who need the Lord and at this point aren't ready to meet him when he comes. And once you do that, step out and do what he's calling you to do. Do it during COVID. And of course, do it after COVID because COVID's coming to an end. You know... <laughs> You know, you know, the Bible reminds us that all we ever get from the day of our birth to life on the other side of eternity is one life. One brief era in which to invest our lives in the greatest cause ever given to man. All we ever get is one shining season and then it's over. And church, we must understand this. Make no mistake, Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, and when he comes, the opportunities of life are going to be over. And so this is our time. This is our one shining season. And what we do with it really matters. It matters to Jesus. It matters to lost people. It matters to your loved ones and your neighbors. It matters to your marriage. It matters to your family. It matters to the poor, the marginalized, the abused, the hurting, and those who are seeking spiritual answers at work, at school, your neighborhood, and around the world. This is my one shining season, and this is your one shining season and then it's over so seize it and stand firm says Paul let nothing move you always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Would you please stand? Just take a moment now and to ask ourselves the question we become accustomed to. Lord, what are you saying to me right now through this teaching? And what are you going to do about it? 